This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Lord, as we stand before you and as we stand before your word, pray, open our eyes that we might see Jesus, that we might see ourselves as you have called us to be, and help us to follow you into the world for your name's sake. Amen. Please be seated. So this sermon is called The Mirror. One moment. I did test this earlier. I didn't fall down then. Um, hopefully you can't see yourself in it, can you, Tiziana? Nope. Reflects up there. Brilliant. So this sermon is called The Mirror, and it's an extended reflection. <laughs> it's an extended reflection on the mirror of Scripture and the mirror, which is an interactive, goal-crushing, whole-family, whole-body fitness machine. Do you know there is a fitness machine called The Mirror? Have you heard of The Mirror as a fitness? Quite a few have. I mean, there was an SNL sketch on it, which was like, gently humorous, as they often are, um, but I'm going to be comparing the two, and before you accuse me of seeking kind of corporate sponsorship from Lululemon to get us over the line on our More Than Stones uh, capital campaign, that's not true, although I do like the idea of a, a Peloton prayer chapel, I think we should, we should work on that. Um, now, the reason why I'm offering this reflection is it, becomes, it comes straight out of our text in James. And I think this metaphor is going to be a very helpful way for us to focus on what God might be saying to us this morning. So the mirror, the $1,500 mirror concept was launched back in 2018. So imagine a full-size mirror up against the wall, but it's magic. You turn it on and a face appears and says, what wouldst thou know, my queen? Oh, wait, sorry, that's the, uh, that's the Snow White. That's the other one. Um, now, this mirror offers a range of workout routines with different instructors. And based on my extensive YouTube research, you basically copy them. So you see this perfectly toned workout instructor doing jumping jacks, and you do jumping jacks. And here's the, this is the striking thing. This is the twist you see both at the same time. You see the instructor and you see your sweaty self at the same time, in the same mirror. And 25 minutes later, you've burnt 500 calories. Or have you? The YouTube debate goes on. Anyway, this is fascinating, Alex, but what has this got to do with the price of eggs? Or better still, the scriptures read to us this morning. So let me explain. And by beginning, I want to introduce the book of James, because the book of James is in our lectionary readings for these coming Sundays. Um, so you find James in your New Testament, part of your Bibles, after Gospels and Acts and Paul's letters, after Hebrews, and interestingly, before Peter and John. Wow. Why are James before those big names? The author identifies himself as James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the epistle has strong historical claims to be written by James, the brother of Jesus. Hence, it was given such a place. But why did he write? 
He wrote to encourage his readers, and thus us, reading, to persevere in the Christian life despite temptations and trials. Persevere. Push through those temptations and trials. Sounds like a fitness coach already. And in fact, if you're looking for a clear and evocative biblical letter on how to live well as a Christian, James is great. But what has this got to do with the fitness mirror and jumping jacks? Two things. First, as mentioned, James has the clarity and authority of a fitness instructor. And he's very interested in form. You do it like this, you do not do it like that. And second, as you may remember from when Noel Jabor read it, a mirror is part of the text, part of the metaphor. So in this sermon, I'm going to essentially try and do one thing. I'm going to encourage us, encourage us to stand before the mirror of Scripture. What does that mean? I'm going to encourage us to stand before the mirror of Scripture. But not just stand there, do something. And I'm going to give three examples of quick Christian character workout routines. So the mirror, the mirror of Scripture, we pick up in verse 22 in your bulletins. James writes, But be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. James is contrasting doers of the word with merely hearers who deceive themselves. I once had someone say, yeah, I'm not so much doing Weight Watchers, I'm just paying for Weight Watchers. So what is the difference between being merely a hearer and a doer? Well, the doers are blessed in their doing. We saw that in verse 25. The doers are blessed, but the hearers forget. The hearers forget. The hearers forget. So what was last Sunday's sermon about? Hmm? Do you hate it when someone asks you that question? Unless the sermon had an application that you did that week, in which case you remember. The doers are blessed, but the hearers forget. And James has this parable about a mirror which I always found confusing. Here it is again, verse 23. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and on going away, immediately forget what they were like. I don't know. I mean, I spent a lot of time in front of the mirror as a teenager, and uh, my parents' ample collections of self-portraits still in their house testifies to that fact. But I think I always remembered what I looked like. So what does James mean? Now here, the commentators help who dig a bit beneath the surface. Apparently the Greek behind themselves, they look at themselves, is to prosopon tes geneseos, which is an evoking genesis, creation, what humanity was meant to be. A glimpse of Adam and Eve, seeing yourself as you were made to be, made in the image of God, Beloved, significant, reflecting God's goodness to the world, seeing that and then forgetting it and returning to all the humdrum habits of normal life. Commentator Scott McKnight 
writes, the person who hears the word but does not listen is like one who sees what God has made him or her to be, the imago Dei, which is Latin for the image of God, but does not let the imago Dei shape his or her life. So just pause and imagine that, seeing a glimpse in the mirror, not of a workout instructor, but a glimpse of who you were made to be. A glimpse of the image of God fully restored in you. What would you want to see? What would you be doing? Or saying? Or not doing or saying? The image of God, a glimpse of who you were made to be. And God sees that right now. He sees the Imago Dei, perfected version of you that he dreamt up and intends to bring to completion on the day he returns and make all things new. He sees that now and he sees the sweaty, sin-stained self that we see in our own mirrors. He sees both at the same time. He sees both and what does he encourage us to do? To look back at him to see Jesus, to stand before the mirror of Scripture, the Scriptures that clothe Jesus. All of these are written about me, he says. To stand and see Jesus, the image of the invisible God, and hear his voice and do it and be blessed. Verse 25, James writes, But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. Now, on Thursday, I wandered into Father Kevin's office to discuss dental insurance, um, but he ended up recommending Richard Borkham's commentary on James. And Borkham outlines how Kierkegaard, Soren Kierkegaard, famous Danish theologian and philosopher, how Kierkegaard takes the action of looking at oneself in the mirror to be not merely an aspect of the parabolic picture, but indispensable to what the parable says about hearing or reading God's word in the right way. He writes, God's word is a mirror in which one should observe oneself. To know God is necessarily also to know oneself as an individual before God as both loved and commanded by God, indebted and responsible to God. Thus, to read Scripture as God's Word must mean to find oneself in it, given oneself and addressed by God. We find ourselves in it, we're addressed by God. Because I think there are, I mean, here are two common misreadings of Scripture. One is to see it all about Jesus and it's got no connection to me. And the others to see it all about me and have no connection to Jesus. But we're called to see both at the same time. Just as the workout mirror, the fitness mirror, reflects both your sweaty self and the workout instructor, our approach to Scripture should be to prayerfully look to see Jesus and hear him address us, to put ourselves into the story. And I wish 
there would be a YouTube video, some YouTuber saying, I spent 30 minutes in front of the scripture, the scripture mirror for a month and you'd never guess what happened. That'd be kind of exciting. So where and when might we put ourselves before the mirror of scripture this week? Do we have a time and a place set aside to be in his presence? To relax before him? To entrust our concerns to him? To hear his voice? At the back um, is our latest daily office booklet that I find super helpful. The September through December version is just hold off the press and that has lectionary readings that you can follow each day. That is a Bible reading plan that helps you stand before the mirror of Scripture. So that's my encouragement. That's my main point. Stand before the mirror of Scripture and see Jesus and see yourself and do that every day. But don't just stand there. Do something. Because just as standing and watching an instructor like do jumping jacks isn't really going to help if I'm just standing there. God's restoring his image in us as we are blessed in our doing. So here are three quick Christian character workouts from James verses 26 and 27. Workout number one is this, bridle your tongue. Verse 26, if anything they are religious and do not bridle their tongues but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Bridle your tongues. What is a bridle? The headgear used to control a horse consisting of buckled straps to which a bit and reins are attached. Thanks, Wikipedia. Have you ever ridden a wild horse without a bridle? No, me neither. Have you ever let your tongue run and run and regretted it? Me too. If we don't bridle our tongues, if we don't get our language under control, we make God out to be a jerk. If people believed in a God reflected in your language, what might they think God is like? Snarky? Dismissive? Rushed and impatient? Yelling? Disengaged? Or a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. For that is his name as revealed to Moses in Exodus. Bridle your tongue. How? James gave the answer a few verses before, verse 19. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. I wonder if it's helpful before the day begins to pray, Lord, help me in my language be gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Or if you're going into a situation where you're concerned you're going to let your tongue run and run, pray that prayer. Or maybe spend some time slowly reading Jesus' interactions with others and the questions he asks the compassion he shows, or when he is ultimately angry. How can we reflect God's character in our conversation? Workout one, bridle your tongue. Workout two, care for the most vulnerable. 
Verse 27, James writes, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress. Since watching the movie Annie about an orphan called Annie, I know some kids who sing, It's a hard knock life for us when asked to do a chore. But the distressing reality of being an orphan or a widow is much less likely to inspire a song. True today, especially true in the ancient Near East. What can we do? You may already know and are blessed in the doing of it. Or maybe you don't. Pittsburgh is actually blessed with so many charities and initiatives and NGOs that care for all kinds, all the most vulnerable um, types. So, I mean, in the past, our youth group has volunteered with Open Hands Ministries just doing practical construction work to make home ownership possible for the most vulnerable. I know a family who volunteers for uh, Hello Neighbor, which is a Pittsburgh-based nonprofit committed to supporting recently resettled refugee and immigrant families, especially those coming from Afghanistan. And being an immigrant can be a very distressing experience. I mean, I was in the um, American immigration office on Thursday, um, and there were some in the waiting room who kind of came out from behind the door, and I could overhear the explanation that so-and-so wasn't able to proceed towards citizenship because the language barrier. And I was thinking, you know, how privileged I am, but how hard it is with masks to hear and speak in a language not your own. Being an immigrant can be a very distressing experience, which I'm very, which I'm thankful that Luan and the team and some of you guys are helping by offering free English language classes here at Ascension. Another angle on the orphan is to care for those thousands who pour into Oakland and are many without parents for the first time in their lives. Our students, to pray for our college ministry, Venite, for our CCO partner, Leo Hornfeck, and let us know if you'd like to help drive students to church or host them for lunch after a service. Who is the most vulnerable in our sphere of influence? Because here's the question. If we're reflecting God's character in our conversation, how do we reflect God's protection and provision as we care for the most vulnerable? So work out one, bridle your tongue, and be blessed in your doing. Work out two, care for the most vulnerable and be blessed in your doing. Work out three, be clean. Verse 27, James writes, keep oneself unstained by the world. We can be stained by cynicism, by boredom, by lust, by greed, by fear, and by consuming media that just corrupts our imagination. Do you feel stained? Stand before the mirror of Scripture See Jesus, see yourself, and see the amazing thing that Jesus chose to be stained that you might be clean. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sins we might live for righteousness 
By his wounds you have been healed. God the Father sees your sweaty, sin-stained self and sees Jesus bearing your sins and sees you transformed, perfected, free. Living with him and for him in the new creation he establishes when he returns. But he gives us the opportunity to live a life that glimpses that now. As Christians with God's Holy Spirit within us, we don't have to let our tongue run and run. We don't have to. We don't have to ignore the most vulnerable. We can care. We don't have to be stained. We can choose. We could be clean. And we can reflect God's character, His conversation, His protection and provision, His holiness, as we continue to come before the mirror of Scripture, hear His voice, act on it, and be blessed in our doing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you truly see us, but you also see the us that we do not yet see. Pray, help us to hear your voice, walk in your ways, cooperate with your spirit, that we might increasingly glimpse in each other your character, your conversation, your protection and your provision, your holiness, that you, your light might be reflected in our lives. To the glory of your name. Amen.